So, Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for a new song, a new season. And Holy Spirit, we ask now that as, as we go into your word, that there just be an illumination by your spirit and that you'd speak to every one of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Worship team, can we honor these guys, please? Mm. Oh. Oh, is that a, yeah, please, bro. <laughs> That's never been moved before, so it's quite a, a different, I think that'll be fine, eh? Brilliant. Okay, how's everyone doing? Good. Good, okay. Two people are good. That's wonderful. The rest of you, not good. Okay. Wow, who's a, that was, yeah, well done guys, thank you for leading us in that time, uh, it was, yeah, really special, I feel like we're going to be in a time of worship at the end of this as well, um, because there's something about responding to the word in worship, that something changes, something shifts, um, I've got, uh, as you know, I was in Ireland last week, thank you for those that prayed, and um, I heard that it went well, and yeah, it's just, it's such a joy to be sent from a church like this, uh, but you know when you're at a place at exactly the right time, and the people there, they were incredibly encouraged, uh, but yeah, this, let's be praying, Jason and Ali, the Liberty Church, they send their love, they love you guys, they pray for you guys, uh, but let's be praying for them as well, you know, uh, it, uh, the Irish church is a very different beast, <laughs> You know, there's a, a challenge that comes with a religious spirit over a nation that you've got to, you know, take on. Whereas we're in a liberal society, we're in a very different context. Um, so I just want us to be praying for them in this next season intentionally and believing God for great things in Ireland. Uh, but the Irish are lovely people. So thank you for sending me. Thank you for the blessing of, uh, yeah, releasing me to go. And thank you for those that have just been so supportive of our sabbatical coming up. Uh, we are excited for it. We've been dreaming, planning, and uh, just seeing what God wants to do in that time. So please be praying for us as we plan that out. Uh, but I've got quite a, um, a a deep message on my heart for this morning, and I don't know how this is going to go. Is that a warning? It's, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Thank you, Ben. I think that was. I can kind of tell who, what Ben's doing just by, you know, the sound effects. But uh, I, I've brought out my heavy-hitting Bible for today. This Bible has been through hell with me. You might say, Dylan, what do you mean been through hell? It has been through every season, but I've wrestled through the text, Paul's letters in particular, to the point where Romans is falling apart. And, and this chapter in particular came out because I've probably meditated on this chapter more than any other chapter in the Bible. And, and that's not just an exaggeration. Genuinely, this chapter has changed my life more than any other chapter I can imagine. So it's deeply personal to me. And I'm going to try and get through this in one preach. Um, but just to warn you that uh, there's freedom coming to you today. So if you don't want to be free, now's the time to leave. Amen? Is that cool? So how many of you enjoy being punished yes 
How many of you, when you were a child, you, just, you liked it when, you, when there was that tone of voice that said, they called your name. Um, if your parent uses your full name, I knew I was in trouble. And if you've ever had that feeling, that sinking feeling when you've been caught, anyone ever been caught and, and you thought you got away with a crime and then suddenly it comes back to get you or for others of you, the worst part is when you're not caught. When you think, when you've got away with it, but what do you live with after that? You live with the guilt of not being caught. Sometimes people get, like, get caught, have, as they say this, they say, I had relief come to me because suddenly I didn't have to live in the darkness for the rest of my life. Anyone been there? How many of you haven't been caught? <laughs> time, should we do an open confession time? There's freedom in the house. Where's that microphone? Pass it here. Um, but here, here's, the, here's the, the, the story here. It's Romans 8 comes in, and it's one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible because what he's doing here is it's kind of compounding all this theology of how do you walk in freedom as a Christian, but also if you're a non-Christian here today, why it is that you're in bondage. So we're going to kick off here. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is now, can you say now? No, no condemnation. Can you say condemnation? condemnation? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you are sitting there thinking, what is condemnation? Well, here's the thing. and It's, it's a legal term that in the process of litigation, there, it leads to an outcome. It's either a verdict of acquittal, i.e. you didn't do the crime, or of guilt, you did do the crime. The verdict indicates that the defendant is, is either free from or accountable to the law's penalty for that crime. Thus, the result is either vindication or or condemnation. So if you're condemned, it's because you've been declared guilty and you're condemned to punishment as a result of that crime. Amen? So when the Bible comes here and says, therefore there is now no condemnation for what? Those that are in Christ Jesus. He's saying there is no future punishment on your life because you have been declared not guilty. That's good news. I don't know about you, but if I was sitting in the court of heaven and I was sitting there waiting to be judged and you've, imagine you've committed a crime and you know that your sentence could be 25 years in prison for murder and then the judge gets up and you hear the words, not guilty, there would be a reason for celebration in that verdict. Amen? So when the Bible says there is therefore now, when is there no condemnation? Now, is it in the future? Is it in the past? No, 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 no. Right now, there is no condemnation for what? Those that are in Christ Jesus, not those that are perfect, not those that keep all the law's requirements, not those who do all the rule checking, those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on. That is good news. Because some of you think when you get to heaven or when you die, you'll face the judgment seat of Christ for this. No, 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 no. You've already been declared not guilty. Not in the future. Amen? Amen. Come on. But it says this, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The Mosaic law was a law of sin and death. Why was that? Because the law stirred up sin and that led to death, right? 
So the law itself is not sin, but what it does is it stirs up sin. Anyone here who has tried to keep the law in your own efforts, as soon as I say, do not do something, you do it. As Luke said in his sermon last week, he said, if you're driving on the speed limit, it says the number of the, you know, don't drive at this speed. What do we do? We speed. Why? Because there's something within us that wants to rebel against a commandment. Well, the good news is there's the law of the spirit of life, and that has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Come on. For what the law was powerless to do. Can you say powerless? And that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. Notice he was not a sinful man, but in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. What does that mean? That means that Jesus, when he came, he was in a human body, fully man, fully God. And when he died, God condemned him, subjected him to condemnation so that you could be subjected to freedom. That is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus had to be condemned on the cross to death so that you could walk in life. This is good news. Because here's the the, the power of this text is that verse 1 is there is no condemnation is the text for today. But the rest of Romans 8 is an exposition and an unpacking of that core theme of why is there no condemnation in Jesus. Because of this reason, Jesus died on the cross with your sin. He became your sin. He became condemned so that you could walk righteous. And notice in verse 4, it says it's in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Notice something, it's not a partial fulfillment. He fully meets every requirement of the law according to your status in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. This is good news. It says, those who live according to the flesh, I'm going to use, notice something, I don't know what, is that saying? Yes, on the flesh, great, so it's a new translation. If you have your old, it depends on your version of the Bible, it might say sinful nature, that's actually less correct in this context. You can translate either way, but it's a word socks in Greek, which you can translate flesh, and I'll come to that later, because some of you think you still have a sinful nature. The danger with that is you live like a schizophrenic where you think one minute I'm in my sinful nature, one minute I'm in my righteous nature. No, no, no. When you died with Christ, your sinful nature was crucified with Christ so that you could get a new nature in Christ. And the only way you can believe that you have a sinful nature is if you believe a lie from the devil. I'm preaching. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What's he saying? Your old nature, it's impossible to submit to God's law in your old nature. Why? Because it is a sinful nature. But in your new nature, it's possible to live in the fullness of righteousness because it's a free gift from Christ. Because notice in verse 8, it says, those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God in that flesh. Why? Because in your own human effort, it's impossible to be pleasing to God because Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
So it's only by faith and faith alone that you can be standing in a right state before God that you can even attempt to please God. This is good news. Because when I grew up uh, and I became a Christian, I had this picture that I, when I became a Christian, I had this evil dog and I had this good dog. And what I was taught is you starve the bad dog, your sinful nature, and you feed your righteous nature, and that dog gets stronger and then eats the other one. Who knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, I know I went to a weird church. Don't worry, guys. No, people are like, that explains a lot. Um, but it's like, you got to feed the, 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 the if, if you feed your sinful nature, that sin grows stronger inside of you. And then the dog gets so big, it eats you and consumes you. And what the, the danger with that teaching is it's like you're fighting this, these two dogs. And let, let me just tell you something, the evil dog died. It's dead. But me and my grace are playing this strange game at the moment where we, I, I don't know how it started, but we, we think there's a lion. And the lion could be in the house. But the only way to protect ourselves from the lion is to hide under the blanket. So, I mean, heaven forbid if there's no blanket, what would we do? But we, we run and, and we run upstairs and, and we went to Tesco the other day and, and we get out the car like, Daddy, I can't walk because there might be a lion. I'm like, okay, this is getting out of hand here. But, we, but as we get into Tesco, it's like, I can walk. Lions don't go into Tesco. I'm like, that's my girl. Here's, here's the beauty of this is that, let me tell you something. The lion does not exist. But if you believe it exists, you can live in the fear of that lion. But the beauty of her is she understands in Tesco there ain't no lion. In Christ, there is no lion that can eat you and consume you because you have the lion of the tribe of Judah and he roars over you and sets you free. I didn't know how that illustration was going to end, but that worked out quite well, actually. I'm quite pleased with that. I didn't know. Thank you, my grace, for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But, but yeah, 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 my grace, you want to. Um, but here's the thing is there's, the, the, the law cannot defeat sin. It only can detect sin. It cannot, to try and use the law to defeat sin in your life is stupid. As stupid as getting a mirror to show you the pimple on your face and try and clean your face with that mirror. The purpose of the mirror is to show you the condition of your face. It's not the purpose of the mirror to clean your face. Same thing with the law. It can show you what God's righteous requirement is, but it cannot help you to fulfill it. So to try and fulfill something in your own effort is going back under the law. That's what Galatians is all about. That's why, and some people love this thing about the law, like I've got to hold on to the law. Like Dylan, are you saying we, we don't have any laws or any commandments? No, 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 no. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying the more you focus on the Holy Spirit guiding and leading you, you fulfill the law accidentally because you're not focusing on trying to do it in your own strength. You're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And don't come here and say, oh, the Holy Spirit led me to commit adultery. That's called the spirit of a demon. <laughs> okay, that went down well. Because <laughs> some people are like, I'm just spirit led. Oh, no, 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 no. The word of God is powerful. The word of God doesn't change, but he guides you into all truth. He doesn't guide you into chaos. So, but the, the, the powerful thing, it's like hard jump. Anyone did hard jump as a kid? Who, I hated hard jump. 
You know what? I hate it. It's a flop. Who remember, remember the flop? Yeah, but for the flop to work, I could never get the flop right, so I always scissored. And then it got too high, and then something hurt later. Who knows what I'm talking about? The scissor. I was good at scissoring, but the flop never worked because I just turned around and hit into the pole and land on there. But the key with the flop was to turn your back to the bar, and as you turned your back to it, then you got over it. But I always wanted to look at the bar. Who knows what I'm saying? Because I'm like, I need to watch that bar. And, but the key is turn away from it. And the same thing with Christ. The law, the bar has been set. But the more you focus on the bar, the more you're going to hit it. Rather than turn, face Christ. And when you're facing Christ, you go over the bar without even focusing on the bar. That's the power of walking in your new nature, being led by the Spirit of God. So... Romans 8 verse 9, it says this, You, however, are controlled not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. What is this saying? Every Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, repented of your sins, been, you know, given your life to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ in you. That's called the inhabiting of the Spirit of God. There's an indwelling of the Spirit. Every believer, I believe, has the Spirit of God inside of them because it's only by the Spirit that you can be made clean. But there is a second experience, I believe, in a conscious experience of receiving and empowering by the Holy Spirit called baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people don't like that part, and theologically, they'll hold to it, but I'll come to that just now. It says, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who lives in you. Let me ask you a question quickly. If the spirit of Jesus is living inside of you, how much power do you have inside of you? That is a lot of power. So when you're sitting there and like, I just don't think I can overcome this habit. Think about the resurrection of Jesus. Dylan, I, I've tried to overcome this sin. That's the problem. Is that your child? I think that's your child. I've tried to overcome. What about the spirit of Christ and allowing him who raised Christ from the dead to give life to your mortal body? And it says here in verse 13, I love this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. How do you get sanctified in Christ? By the spirit of God, you're empowered by the spirit to live a righteous life, not empowered by your own effort. It's empowered by the spirit to allow you to live in the fullness of Christ. Amen. Come on. So it says this in, in verse 14, this is where we get to some really good stuff. It's coming here. It says this, it says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received, can you say received, the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Notice something that it says here, you received the spirit of sonship. You did not receive the spirit of an orphan. You received the spirit of sonship. Every single one of you here is a son if you put your faith in Jesus. 
The ladies, you are sons too. I've said this before. That, that it's very key you understand sonship because sonship in that context, it meant the son had an inheritance. Just like I'm the bride of Christ, you're a son. You got it. I've dealt with the whole bride issue. I'm going to wear a dress one day. It's all good, right? So you've got to understand that in Christ, when you are, become a son, you get an inheritance in him. You don't just get saved and forgiven of your sins. You actually get an inheritance. So you, because here, here's the thing. In Roman culture, remember this was the book of Romans So at the Roman times. It said, in the Roman world of the first century, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was no what inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature. Under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out with all debts being canceled with nothing from his past counting against him anymore. The spirit of adoption that is upon you, my friend, means that you live in complete freedom from your past. Your past cannot contain you anymore because you become a son with an inheritance. And that inheritance is so amazing that imagine this, every bit of inheritance Jesus has, you have access to. Every bit. How much inheritance is that? Because the Bible says that Christ has been raised from the dead and seated where? At the right hand of his father. Where are you seated? At the right hand of the Father in Christ. Are you just wallowing in the mud or are you being raised up in Christ? Because sometimes as Christians, we think, I'm just going to wallow here and woe is me. I'm this and that. Let, Let me tell you this. You are an adopted son and that sonship means that you have access to every bit of inheritance Christ has because as he is, so are you in this world. Not in the afterlife, right now you have access to walk in the spirit of glory because of what Jesus did on that cross. You are co-heir with Christ. You're not just an heir. You are joint with Christ. You're like a Siamese twin with Jesus. That's amazing. You share the same mind, the same heart, the same nature, the same body. It's like you are united completely in Christ. It's a beautiful joy. To walk with Jesus. Amen. But notice something. The Spirit testifies with our spirit. What does He testify? He testifies and He says, you are my child. He doesn't testify and say, you are messed up. He doesn't testify and say, oh, Lewis, you hit the drums wrong. I don't think you hit the drums wrong today, but just in case there's anything. Oh, Lewis. Your plumbing's are so off this week. Oh, Lewis, any perfectionists in the room? Come on, raise your hands. I'm going for you. (laughs) That's why I'm going after Lewis. (laughs) You know what you need to hear? Because sometimes what you mistake, the voice of perfection for the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus declares over you, you are his child. You are not to walk in the spirit of never good enough, never enough. You are enough in Jesus Christ because his spirit testifies with yours that you are a son of God. Have any of you ever had a lie keep you from a relationship? 
a friendship. Anyone ever thought they're angry with me? Hmm? Okay, we, we're all perfect, eh? Anyone in this room that's one, you know the vision of this church has been real, number one. Like that step, step number one is being real. And you guys are always like, no, never had that issue. Just, you know. Oh, guys, true life church, being real, radical, relational people. Anyone ever thought, oh, you know, um, Tim, I, you know, I think the way I said that, he's now angry with me, and that's why he didn't phone me this week. And, yeah, and now Tim hates me because actually what he meant when he was leading worship, when he read that psalm, see if there's any offensive way in me. He's actually been passive aggressive and going for me and saying, like, look at the offense in my heart. And, you know, like, search me and know me. And I'm like, Tim's like trying to aim the word of God and all this passive aggressive stuff because we, you know, that's how we roll as millennials. We don't like conflict, so we'll just be passive aggressive. And on the pulpit talking about no condemnation but actually he can see me he knows what I did this week I don't know what you did I'm not that prophetic um you know like don't give me too much credit here but you those things get in your head and then what happens is you end up building this narrative that's not even true and then you start avoiding the person you see them coming and you run the other way you you're in the shop at Tesco and suddenly you're in the baby aisle and you don't even have a baby like what's going on because you're trying to run from the conflict because you you built a lie up in your head and it's led into condemnation and it's led into bondage where you actually avoid them rather than deal with the lie and get set free. Because you know how often I've sat down with friends and said, sorry man, like what did you mean by that? Was there anything more? Or am I totally misreading the situation? You know what that does? Because half the time, like more than half the time, 90% of the time, it's just like, oh dude, I wasn't even thinking about you. <laughs> Like, no offense, but maybe then you get offended. And you're like, oh, and that, don't start the whole process. But you, you go in this thing, and you know what's crazy with this is a lie can destroy that relationship so easily and so quickly rather than healthy confrontation, healthy family. Because what we, a lot of us have come from is broken families where as soon as you confront, you run, rather than when you confront, you stay and work through your stuff and say, actually, no, I love you, and I don't mean anything. I, I can promise you this. I'll never use a pulpit to be passively aggressive towards any individual in this room if I'm even preaching a sermon I think oh this might you know be this sometimes I speak to the person but know this you're not that important the word of God convicts us and you might be convicted of something but we, we must be very careful of allowing this but in our relationship with God how often do we allow a lie to come into our heads of this is why this happened because I knew I should have done this right now God's punished me for this and it affects your relationship with God because you believe in a lie rather than allowing the spirit to lead you into truth, which leads to freedom. Amen. I know I've worked through stuff with people in this room and we have grown closer as a result of healthy confrontation. Because if you've ever been under a spirit of accusation, it's a horrible thing to be under. Anyone been accused of something? <laughs> Who likes being accused? He wakes up like, yeah, I'm ready to be accused of this crime. Like, what an exciting day. No, when, you're, when you come under a spirit of accusation, what ends up happening, because remember what we're picturing here is there's no condemnation. So when accusation comes, it says, you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that. And what happens is you start believing, and you're like, did I do that? 
Don't get me wrong, if you're guilty, you're guilty, like deal with your stuff. But a lot of the time when it's a spirit of accusation, what that is is the spirit of the enemy trying to accuse you of your sonship. Because what is the job of the enemy in Revelations 12? The accuser of our brothers stands before the throne of God, accusing them day and night. Day and night. So when you partner with accusation, be very careful because you could be partnering with the very enemy of your soul. Someone comes and, because remember, the aim of accusation is condemnation. The aim of correction is freedom. Don't slip into a spirit of accusation. True Life Church, our culture has always been to honor and build up and all this stuff. But if we start allowing accusation to come in, we end up in a very terrible place. The culture of a church gossip comes in. When suddenly you start, oh, you know, Katie. Did you see what she said? <laughs> you know, what, what, what do you mean by that? You know, let's protect each other's honor. Let's, let's not partner with the enemy because the Bible says you are free from accusation in Christ. You are free. But don't, don't, also don't flip into the other side where you're like, uh, I'm just perfect. There's no correction. There's a spirit of correction and there's a spirit of accusation. They're two different things. Once a correction is built off relationship, when you come back, hey, Tim, bro, please, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to, uh, I'm, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of something. That, who knows? Does anything, one know something that Tim does wrong? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he smile, you smile too much, bro. <laughs> but a spirit of accusation is terrible, but I want to say, if you have ever been accused, do not allow yourself to come under the spirit of that thing. Rather, stand in the freedom of your sonship. Amen. Come on. And we, we as a church want to build a culture of sonship, not a culture of orphans. Now, forgive my language here, because some of you don't know this, but I did a sermon once called, um, No Longer a Bastard, But a Son. And... It went down about as well as that went down. And, <laughs> but I got up to preach and I said, you're not bastards. And I remember I got to this uh, youth group and it's going to be okay. Don't worry. All the Brits in the room, it's all good. Um, but I went to this youth group and they had this, this picture up. And I, now my title of my sermon was More Than Conquerors in Christ. And I get there and they've, they've just named their youth group. So I get there as a guest preacher and it says Survivors in Christ. And my, literally my first line is, we are not survivors in Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ. So I had to get up and say, guys, you're not bastards, you're sons. And the reason I use that is the story when I was in grade three, a kid came up to me and said, Dylan, I learned something. I learned that you're a bastard. And I said, I just learned you're an idiot. <laughs> and, um, but he said, no, 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 because you don't have a father, you're a bastard. And I mean, kids can be cruel, but I remember getting that, and that's the true meaning of it, if you didn't know, so there's actually a, a, a biblical thing here, is that William the Conqueror went from bastard to conqueror when he conquered um, in the war, 
And one of the, the, the things that I want to say to you is some of you who don't have fathers, you can live under an orphan spirit and you can operate under that thing, living as a bastard rather than as a son and free from that spirit. What that young kid said to me was true in the natural, but in the spiritual, I'm no longer that. I'm a son of God in Jesus Christ. So I don't care what your story is. Oh, my dad's this, my dad's that. Get over it. Your dad is a father in heaven once you put your faith in him and you are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. Amen. Come on. Dylan, did you have to say that? Yes. Come on. There is freedom. But verse 18, I'm going to jump here. Are you guys doing okay? Are we winning? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Romans 8 is good. And it says this, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now I'm going to jump forward a little bit here. In verse 23, it says, or verse 22, we know the whole creation has been groaning. Can you say groaning? As in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Notice something, creation's groaning. Verse 23, not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Two groanings. No, um, listen here, verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. He searches our heart, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Notice there are three groanings there. Creation's groaning. Amen? Verse 22. Then we are groaning, and then the Spirit's groaning. And some people ask, what is this groaning that you're talking about? This sounds like a strange church. Are you all going to start groaning? Who knows? But here's the thing, is there's a groaning in creation itself for you to walk in your God-given identity as a son of God. I truly believe Christians, I know you're going to think this is crazy, we can affect weather patterns in society, in the world. I believe we can affect nature as sons of God. I believe we have authority over creation. And creation is longing for you to step into that sonship. But there's a groaning. And some people ask, well, what is that? Well, here he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Have you ever been in prayer not known what to pray? How many of you run out of words to pray in like one minute? <laughs> Who's got two minutes in there? Where's the The is not here today. <laughs> Okay, five hours in. Who's got five minutes in them? Some of you start running out there. I just start repeating the same thing, but in a more holy way. Who knows what I'm saying? I'm like, Lord, I pray for Ollie today. I pray he arrests people well. I pray that he destroys them off the plane graciously. I pray, you know, and then I like, you know, remix them. I'm like, Lord, I pray he worships you as he does that. I pray, Lord Jesus, that he just sings, you know, more Lord, more Lord. And he's just, you know, he's arresting them in the glory of God, you know, and that's how, that's how, we, and then you make it more holy. Like, Lord, give him the song to sing as he takes him out of the airport. And you get there. What I'm doing, I'm saying the same thing again and again, but what I'm actually saying is I'm weak and I don't know what to pray for for Ollie. But I do know, and this is something that's so important. Some people are like, is this tongues, is this not tongues? I personally believe it is. 
I, I do personally believe this text specifically, even if you don't agree with me on that, there are other texts that I can point you to. But the gift of tongues, which is a heavenly language given to you by the Holy Spirit of God, is a gift from God experienced in the second infilling of the Spirit. Now, like I say, certain theologians would argue that when you come to Christ, you receive the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit at the same time. I fundamentally disagree with that just as much as when you give your life to Christ in faith, in salvation, you still need a water baptism as a second moment and experience and declaration of your faith. Amen? But what I, I, I see in the gift of tongues, and I believe it's available to all of us, and some of you will be saying like, Dill, I want tongues, I haven't prayed in tongues. Can I ask you to ask today? Let's believe God for an infilling of His Spirit. It doesn't make you an inferior Christian. You know, if you're like, oh, I haven't prayed in tongues in three years, doesn't mean I'm less holy. Uh, where's Mr. Holy here? Where's Brad? <laughs> oh, he's, I don't know where he is. But yeah, Brad's praying in the spirit probably, you know, that's why he is. But Brad's story would encourage you. Brad's like, when I say Mr. Holy, I actually mean it. You know, like those guys that just convict you just by walking and you're like, just stop, you know. Um, but he, he walks in, you know, character, everything. But it was years for him in his journey into praying into tongues. But tongues are an incredible gift. And a, there is also what I believe a groaning in the spirit, which certain people go into in their prayer life. And I've only experienced once or twice in my life, to be honest. Um, but there is an experience of that because sometimes you can be sitting there and saying, Lord, I don't know what to pray for right now, but I know your spirit does. And then you start praying in tongues. And there's the perfect prayer where he's praying for you and he's praying for those around you. And what I want to encourage you for is just stir you up and say, you're a son, you have access to this today. You have access to the gift of the Spirit today. And I want to ask you just to open your heart and say, Father, I'm a son in Christ would you grant me this ability today? Because I do not know what I ought to pray for, but I know your spirit does. You know, the first time I prayed in tongues, or the first time I heard someone praying in tongues, if you're new here and you don't believe in Jesus, um, I was like newly saved. And I heard this guy, and I thought he was praying in German. Genuinely. And it's in South Africa. So I was like, not many Germans, you know. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> He, so he's praying, and I went to him afterwards. I said, sorry, uh, what was that language you were praying? Was it German? Are you from Germany? He's like, no, it's tongues. I'm, uh, tongues? What you, no, what, what is that? And so this guy literally printed off. It was a wad of paper. Remember that stuff, guys, young people? Remember paper? <laughs> Do you remember that? Hey. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it didn't just get text to me. But um, he, he printed it off. I started studying. And then you know what ended up happening? I was falling asleep one night after a life group as a teenager. I was 16 at the time. And as I was falling asleep, I was just praying. I was going and I was just praying and I was going. And then I just started feeling this different language start coming out of my mouth. And then this, this warmth in my soul. I don't know how else to describe it. And then I started praying. That was my journey of starting to pray in tongues. No one else around me, just a longing for this gift from God. Can I just say, make sure you don't allow the spirit of the orphan, because some of you, have, you're going to limit God to your experience rather than to his word. 
And you're going to say, well, I, I, I've, I've experienced this in the past, therefore this is what will happen. Can I just challenge that and say, actually, just ask the Lord for his gifts because he's a good, good father. Amen. Come on. And then we get to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Who knows it? Verse 28. We know that in all things, can you say all? God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Who loves that verse? Who hates that verse? We don't hate the word of God, do we? It says this, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. A very tricky verse sometimes, because some of you will be sitting there saying, no, but what about when I'll lose someone I love? What about when there's tragedy that strikes in my family? What about when things don't go according to plan? Does that verse still stand? Doesn't mean God still works for the good of those who love him. Notice something, God doesn't cause all things, but he works in all things for the good of those who love him. God is working for your good in the midst of your suffering that when you are sitting there and you're thinking, I I just don't know what God is doing right now. Just know this, you can know one thing, is God is working for your good. That you might not know much, but you can know this. And notice the tense. It isn't in the future. It is in the present. God is working presently in your life right now for your good, no matter what it is you're going through. But some of you, I was trying to tell you about this. You might be in the middle of a situation and say, how could God possibly be working good out of this chaos? But then five years down the line, you're sitting down with someone. And they're going through exactly what you have just been through. And you go, oh, that's why. Suddenly you're, the alcoholism that you grew up in your family with, you're sitting down with someone with parents who are alcoholics. And you sit down and you say, man, I don't have many words to say, but I can tell you something. God has led me through this and you will get through this because God worked all things out for good. And he uses all things in our lives for good. And you might be like, Dylan, the way I lost my dad, the way I lost my mom, how can there possibly be any good out of this? Well, I want to say, look at the cross of Christ. God losing his son, his only son. And look at how God worked. Was the cross painful? Was the cross gruesome? Yes. But out of that pain came a purpose that accomplished the greatest thing that history has ever seen, which is the salvation of humanity. And some of your suffering do not allow it to be wasted because in your suffering you can question. Because notice, remember what the key text is. There is no condemnation. Some of you, when you suffer, you think that that is God punishing you. Know this, God is not punishing you. God has punished Jesus once in the cross of Christ. And for him to punish you again would be unjust because he's already punished the crime. Do not mix that up. But people in their suffering, especially what I've seen in this country, is people, as soon as they suffer, they run from God and say, I'm not going to believe in God now because I'm suffering. No, 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 no. Notice what Paul's saying. He said, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will come. Know this. And then he says, hope that is seen is not hope at all. Do not lose hope in the midst of your suffering. Because if you can see the outcome, it's not hope. But God gives you hope in every circumstance because he's working for your good. I mean, 
can't share too much, but I can tell you something. I've been in family situations where you're crying out to God and you, you're preaching and there's freedom here. You're getting home and there's chaos here. And he's saying, God, how are you going to work this drugs in the family, drugs and all this chaos? How do you turn that for good? And yet now I can sit down with people and relate to all kinds of people. Why? Because you go through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil because God has given me a spirit of sonship and not an orphan that I'm going to wallow in that past. I'm going to use that past to see freedom in the lives of those around me. Amen. Are you guys still good? But I want to end here, and I wonder if the worship team, where's Holy Brad? He's putting him to sleep. Can you get on the guitar, please, Will? Oh, yeah, thanks, bro. Now would be, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I just thought you were going to chill for a moment there, bro. Um, who loves Will? Yes. <laughs> but it, what, who knows my next favorite verse in this chapter? Who knows it? Who knows Romans 8? Can I challenge you to memorize this chapter? You know why? Because it will change your life through any season. One of the first chapters I memorized in the Bible was Romans 8. And it's... And even going through it this week, it kept, I just kept seeing revelation upon revelation upon revelation. And this revelation got me. And it's, notice something what he said. He said in verse 26, in this, oh, sorry, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, can you say for us? Who can be against us? Who loves that verse? If God is for me, what? Who can be against me? Uh, is that how it goes? What's that song, bro? You can stand it. There we go. I nearly had it. I nearly had it. I like it. We sing that song. But if you like me, I ask the question. I'm like, if God is for me, who can be against me? I realize a lot of people. So we sing it. We're like, yeah, if God is for us, who can stand against us? A lot of people. When you give your life to Christ. Suddenly all hell breaks loose and friends that you thought were friends suddenly start turning against you like, God is for me. Uh, the whole world seems to be against me. So what does this verse mean? And this is where context is so important because what he's talking about, he's talking about your right standing with God. There's no condemnation in Christ. He's talking about the heavenly court room and the throne room of God, the judgment seat of God. And he's saying, if God is for you, who can be against you? And notice in verse 32, he carries on, he explains, he said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's saying in the throne room of God, if God be for you, who can stand against you? The devil can accuse you, but who can stand against you? Because suddenly the evidence gets laid out in the courtroom. Let's take Tom. Tom, look what you did. Tom, I can't believe you stole money at your work. This isn't prophetic, I hope. But if it is, it's okay. Just 50-50. <laughs> Tom, 
You stole money from work. Here's the evidence. Here's the CCTV with alt AI messing it up. Tom, here you are sentenced to 10 years imprisonment for stealing. Here's the evidence. It's all clear cut. There's no way Tom is getting out of this. But then you have Jesus. Carl is Jesus. And, and Carl stands up. He says, sorry, judge. Judge, 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 judge. Yes, there's evidence, but you're missing greater evidence. You need, there's another bit of evidence that you need, and that is the cross of Christ. Here's the footage. Yes, you've got the footage of Tom's crime, but here's the footage of my cross. And here's the blood that is evidence. The DNA evidence is here. But that Tom is dead. There's a new bloodline in him. Do a DNA test. He looks like him. He's like a twin. But it's not him. Because that Tom died. I, don't, I, I haven't seen a dead person sentenced. I haven't seen a dead person condemned. But you died in Christ, and now you are free from that evidence because that name is a different name. Your surname changed. You have the Christ added to you because you are belonging to Him. You are a son of God. You're not a son of your natural father. So that evidence falls away because, remember, facts change. Truth remains the same. There are two types of truth, that there's a lower truth. Yes, Tom might have committed the crime, but there's a higher truth that Jesus died on the cross to set him free, just like the law of aerodynamics and the law of gravity. Both are true. The law of gravity means a big piece of metal up in the air falls down. But guess what? When you put a big, big piece of metal up, it goes up. Why? Because the law of aerodynamics conquers the law of gravity because it's a higher truth. Same thing. You might be sitting there and Dylan, I've done this. I've done that. I've committed this. I've done that. Here's all the evidence. I'm such a failure. Look what I've done. Look what Jesus did. Because here, and this is the revelation I had at nine o'clock last night. My wonderful wife freed me to in prayer. And it said this, it says, notice something I'm going to read here quickly. Verse 26 says, we do not know what we are to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us. Can you say for us? Come on, and it says this, um, verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Can you say for the saints? In accordance with God's will. So the Spirit's interceding for you. And then it says, and we know in all things God works for the good. Can you say for the good of those who love Him? Come on. Verse 31, it says, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 34, who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who is raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who's for you? The entire Trinity. The Spirit of God. God the Father and God the Son are all standing for you. Dylan. Surely one of them's against me. I, I can relate to the Father, but I can't relate to the Son. I can relate to the Son. I can't relate to the Spirit. Know this. Every single one of the Trinity of God are standing for you. And they're saying, Tom, I am for you. I am not against you. Even in your suffering, when you start questioning, know this, that God is for you and He is not against you. 
that if God be for you, who can be against you? And Paul explains, he says, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? This was a man who was familiar with suffering because he said, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And, he, for, for, and then I love this, my favorite verse, for I am convinced, can you say convinced? That neither death nor life, angel nor demon, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heart nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Because he broke every barrier in the cross. His blood conquered death itself so that nothing, neither heart nor depth, the present nor the future. Notice something he doesn't put in there is your past. Because the thing that can break your relationship in your mind is your past. Because you start living in the guilt of what you've done. And that's a lie. Because the love of God, he cannot be separated from. And this is the text that got me in trouble with that youth group. They never asked me back, by the way. But they did change their name. It says, all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. My question to you, my friend, is what are you going through today? And have you become unconvinced? Or were you ever convinced that his love is strong enough to guard you and carry you through every situation? Because I see people start questioning the love of God in the midst of their suffering. Whereas what Paul's saying is, I'm facing death all day long. I'm suffering on a daily basis. I've been stoned, not with marijuana, with stones. And I've been beaten with rods. And I've been shipwrecked at sea. And I have, uh, you know, been through all this. I've had the lashes. And I've been beaten. And guess what? I'm still convinced that neither heart nor death nor any powers in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of Christ. And you're sitting there and you're saying, Dill, today, I just, I, I don't know if I feel his love. Notice feelings are a good thing, but they cannot be your determination of truth. But I will say this, you are free from the feeling of condemnation as well. God doesn't want you to say, oh yes, I know objectively I am free in Christ, but I'm gonna live like feeling like I'm under bondage the rest of my life. No, 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 no. You should be walking in true, true freedom today. And I can see some of you, I know some of the suffering in this room. I know some of the heartaches, the pains, the brokenness, and you're sitting there and you're saying, Dill, there are times when I just question, is God really for me? Is God's love really for me? And my question to you is, if God gave up his son for you, how will he not also along with him graciously give you all things? And I want to see your heart free and your heart thriving. And I want to see a church that we are, we are free as a church. We're not just herding orphans. Saying, let's control the orphans. Let, let's, um, you know, I want to see big people rising up out of this church. People who are like chilly, like a roar comes inside of them. And like, I'm a son of God. Yeah. What? Let, Send me into the nations. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Send me to Afghanistan. Come on, Come on bro. <laughs> Someone's got to go. <laughs> so, where Chile's are rising up and say, 
still, I might not be perfect, but I want to take my inheritance in Christ. Can, can you help me? Let, let, let's go on that journey. I don't want to just see a church where it's tame and it's like, let, let's just all behave and, and live, you know, in a form of legalism and we just, all these perfect Christians. I'd rather have a bit of imperfection and the power of God than this perfection of, you know, we stand up, sit up at the same time and we all know what's going on and we, we're in this nice religious routine, but we never walk in the fullness of the relationship or the power of the Spirit and we, we just walk in our prayer lives look the same in 10 years and our reading of the word looks the same in 10 years and our marriages look the same in 10 years and our our relationships and friendships look the same in 10 years something's gone wrong because Jesus wanted us to walk in freedom and to be transformed from glory to glory not from glory to less glory He's wanting to raise people up in this church. And I I just know that this chapter has the power to do that. Because I remember as a young guy going through all the things young men go through, the pornographic addiction, going through, you know, the shame and the guilt of that. And you you think, oh, I'm free. And then you mess up. And you you walk through that. And it was this chapter reading a commentary on Romans chapter 8 where a revelation came to me. And that revelation was, I am free in Christ. And and it's going to sound crazy, but I was like, I am not condemned at all. I'm totally free as a son of God that I'm not more righteous or less righteous when I sin or don't sin. Hear what I'm saying here is that as you sin, you are not less righteous because your righteousness positionally is in Christ, not in your condition of how you're behaving. I remember a preacher getting up and saying, um, and this blew my mind, I thought he was preaching heresy, he said, you are as righteous before you watch pornography as when you're watching pornography as after you've watched pornography. I remember thinking, my goodness, that cannot be true. And some of you are like, but you know what he is saying? He is teaching us positionally in Christ I cannot allow my righteousness to be determined by my condition because then you, what you do is you start living in legalism because then when you've had a week of being successful in resisting temptation, what do you say? Look what I've done. And then you just end up in the sin of pride. And then you go to the next one. And some of you, are, you've all had different struggles. I'm just sharing mine. And I remember this, this constant up and down of like, where's that? And then this revelation hit me and I realized I'm free from the power of this thing. And I remember weeping like I've not wept before because I realized his love is really greater than any human love you could ever imagine. His love is stronger than anything and nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. And I know there'll be men and women here who are addicted to pornography today. And I wanna tell you something, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is freedom in your position in Christ and in your sanctification of trying to get free Don't fall into a spirit of legalism because all that's going to happen is you'll end up in arrogance and pride and then you'll have to be repenting again. And guess what? Pride goes before destruction. So then as soon as you think you're standing firm, what happens? You fall. I remember one prophet saying, I don't think I'm standing firm, firm, I crawl. Why? Because as soon as you think you've overcome, then you do. But know this, you have overcome in Christ because you died to the law through the body of Christ. You're not trying, you are free. It's a reckoning, it's not a trying. Amen? Is this real? 
Some of you, I know your marriages. <laughs> this is my next note. How to use the wireless projection. Some of you, don't know why I'm looking at it, is some of you in your marriages, you need to break free today. And you know, I'm going to step here, is what you're doing is you're putting each other under a spirit of accusation and condemnation. Because you haven't understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you're not I found insecure, project their insecurity onto others. Condemned people project condemnation onto others. It's true. So normally what you do is you try and find a reason in your spouse or your partner that you want to project that brokenness onto them and make it their issue rather than deal with it and say, Jesus, let your gospel transform my life. Mm-hmm. So what I want to say is this is the key to healthy marriages, healthy friendships, healthy everything in True Life Church centers on this chapter of understanding you are free from condemnation because suddenly you can serve freely rather than under a performance spirit of trying to get acceptance by anyone in this church. I wonder if, if Dill will acknowledge me. No, 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 no. We serve in Christ freely. We're not doing it to get out of punishment because Jesus was punished and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and that punishment has been dealt with. And if you've ever watched, and I'll close here because I'm sorry, it has been long, but this is such an important text, I actually don't care, is that the law of double jeopardy, which uh, anyone watched Double Jeopardy, the film? It's come onto Netflix. I actually don't know if I can recommend it. I haven't watched it in a long time. So (laughs) before I get in trouble here, Look at the age restriction and, um, and repent. It's, here's the thing. It's double jeopardy. The lady goes, and, and it's an incredible film, but they're on this yacht with her husband and their child, and when, he, when she wakes up, she sees blood all over the boat, and she's hold, got the knife with her f- handprints on, and someone comes, and she sees blood, and her husband's disappeared. And so she, she comes back, the Coast Guard catch her, and they, they say, look, you killed your husband and threw him overboard. And so what happens is she gets condemned to prison for 25 years for murder of her husband. And she knows she didn't do it, but she can't remember anything because she's, I was sleeping when this happened, but all the evidence points to me being guilty. And then at the end of the film, she gets out after whatever, 10 years and Speaks to her son and she hears her husband is alive because the son shouts, Daddy. And she realizes, Oh, I've been set up. So she goes and finds her husband in the middle of New York City or whatever it is. And she walks up to him and he's like, You're not going to kill me. You know those moments in a film? You can't kill me because if you kill me, you're going back to prison. And then she goes, I can't remember the language again. It's, I was doing this film for you guys. And, um, and, she's, and she says, double jeopardy. I learned something whilst in prison. And that means because I've already served the time for this crime, I cannot serve the time again for the crime I've already served the, the time for. And she shoots him. Boom. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a powerful point here is that <laughs> I love how Brad's the one who's like Dee. yeah 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 Mr. Hurley what films do you watch right mm. 
The chosen, yeah. The passion of the Christ on repeat. Um, <laughs> the gospel of John audiobook. Um, repeat. But, but here's the point. Is the police come and they can't make her serve the time again. So she could kill the man that she was accused of killing and sentenced for killing because the crime had already been paid for. The punishment had already been served. Yet as Christians, we try to live serving out the punishment that has already been paid for in Christ. And the law of double jeopardy says you cannot serve that time again. And so some of you are like, I can't lift my hands and worship today because of my thoughts this week, because of my language this week, because of what I've done. And you say, some of you are sitting there saying, Dylan, this is going to make people run around and sin and just go off and do whatever they want. I want to say the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits if you say that because that is not true. The reality is when you believe this, you start living differently. You start living as a son. You start living free and you say, actually, I don't need to watch that stuff. I'm watching Jesus. I don't watch Double Jeopardy. I watch Jesus. Amen. Can we stand, please? And I'd like us to, I'd like us to pray. I know we have gone on today, or I've gone on, you might be saying, but I'm free from your condemnation. And what I want to pray for is those of you that have never received the gift of tongues, I'd like to give you an opportunity to receive the gift of the Spirit. It is a gift that I'm talking about where the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity. And I want to pray for you. And if you're a guest here, like, Dil, what is this? It's in the Bible and it's a beautiful thing. But you, I just want to allow the Spirit to work now. If anyone has anything, Gail, please feel free. And Brad, Tim, anyone, you know, that's got something. But I want us to pray and allow the Spirit of God to free us today and allow him to speak to every one of us so can we just close our eyes heavenly father thank you so much for your word thank you so much for your spirit thank you lord that you are for us and not against us thank you lord that you are the perfect father I pray, Lord Jesus, that the spirit of condemnation and accusation over people would be broken today by the power, the hammer of your word right now. You just break chains of bondage of people. Holy Spirit, just come and move in our midst. I pray that you'd guide us into all truth, the truth of our identity in you. I thank you, Lord, that your word, it cuts deep. It divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. That nothing in all creation is hidden from your sight and yet you still do not condemn your people because you condemned your son. Holy Spirit, just come up, pray for conviction in hearts right now that people would become convinced that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus. I pray for a security in people's sonship today where people feel like they are so far from you, I pray that they'd see the lie for what it is and they'd be set free. I pray that we'd take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I pray for those in pornographic addictions today that there'd be a moment of freedom today that they would see and have a revelation of their identity in you. 
Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. By the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body. Father God, we thank you for the spirit of adoption today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit, search our hearts and minds and intercede for us. Holy Spirit, can we just start calling out to the Lord wherever you are, whatever that looks like, just pray, sing, whatever it is. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. There's a groaning that that groaning that the Lord's is putting in His bride again. As Gail said, there's a new song coming. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Holy fire, come and burn in our midst. We're not going to rush. We're just going to allow the Spirit to do His work. So ask the Lord for that gift. If you want someone to lay hands on you, the Bible says they laid hands on them and they received the gift of tongues, the gift of the Spirit. If that's you, please can you come to the front now? Don't be afraid. Don't be a whatever. Just come to the front now. And I feel like the Lord's just wanting to release a gift inside of you. As I've been speaking, God is wanting to do something. Come up now. The Lord wants to bless you with the gift. But wherever you are, let's just start calling out to the Lord. Jesus, Jesus. I know there are more people here. Come on. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 